Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Rabbi shrahli sadri wa yassirli amri. Wahlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. My dear brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. All praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We praise Him, we seek His assistance, and we seek His guidance. And we seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from the evils of our souls and the adverse consequences of our deeds. Whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees guidance upon, then none can misguide Him. And whomsoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decrees misguidance upon, then none can guide him. And peace and salutations be upon the final messenger, Muhammad ibn Abdullah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I bear witness that there is no one worthy of worship besides one Allah, and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his final messenger. My dear brothers and sisters, I welcome you all to episode 7 in our series, A Blast from the Past Seerah in the 21st Century. Today is the 15th of July, and we're slowly catching up with the last 10 days of Ramadan. And even more importantly, the last 10 nights of Ramadan. We know that the last 10 nights are the best nights of the year. And the last 10 nights have the best night of all the nights of the year. The night of power, Laylatul Qadr. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said about it, Laylatul Qadri khayrun min alfi shahar. The night of power is better than 1,000 months, meaning the, the, the rewards are better than 1,000 months. Better than 1,000 months. No, not equal to, but better. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. Indeed, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is vast and His bounties are vast. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decree upon us witnessing this night. Ameen. Ameen. Ya Rabbil Alameen. Yesterday, my dear brothers and sisters, we discussed the opening of our beloved Prophet's chest, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And we discussed the death of his mother, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And we discussed the death of Abdul Muttalib. And we got up to the point of Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, being eight years old in the home of his uncle, Abu Talib, a man who shared the same mother and father as his father, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And we spoke about how Abu Talib loved Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and how we will hear a lot about him for he supported Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, for more than 40 years. More than 40 years. So this is the stage that we are at. An incident after Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam continued living his life under the care of Abu Talib was the incident of him being a shepherd. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was a shepherd. And we discussed in previous episodes how he also was a shepherd as a young boy of four years old, according to the correct opinion of the scholars, uh, being a shepherd. Right? Two sheep. When he was living with Halima, a Saadiyah, when he was living with her, his second foster mother, when he was living in the countryside. But when we refer to him being a shepherd now, then we're referring to him being a shepherd when he's much older. When he's much 
older. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was a shepherd. And we learned this in many a hadith. For example, the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu an in Sahih Muslim. And in this narration, we actually learn that he sallallahu alayhi wasallam or he says sallallahu alayhi wasallam that there was no prophet except that he was a shepherd. Subhanallah. There was no prophet except that he was a shepherd. And they said to him, O Prophet of Allah, even you? And he said, even me. And he went on to say that he used to look after the herd uh, that belonged to the people of Mecca for a piece of a dinar. For a piece of a dinar. Which means that he, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, actually earned a living uh, doing this. Right? So he said there was never a prophet except that he was a shepherd. So they said to him, even you, O Prophet of Allah. And he said, yes, I used to do it for a portion of a dinar for the people of Mecca. Now, we learn from this, my dear brothers and sisters, many lessons. From these lessons are number one, the importance of training yourself and taking the means of development to become complete in whatever you plan to become or whatever you plan to do. This continues, right? We said that Rasulullah wasallam's training began when he was still in the womb of his mother. And we discussed lessons. Remember when we spoke about how you and I should pick the right mother for our children? We should marry the right woman. And we should make dua before even getting married for Allah to bless us with the right mother to our children. Training our children's tarbiyah begins way before. Before we even say nakahtuha wa qabiltuha and all these words that denote us being married or having accepted a female in our nikah. And we saw how his, his tarbiyah and him being nurtured to be a prophet continued given how he went to the countryside, given him losing his mother and the circumstances around his mother passing away and then Abu, uh, his grandfather passing away and so on and so forth. So this uh, training continued. And even him, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, being inspired by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be a shepherd and take this as a means of earning. He could have done other things. He could have taken care of camels. Right? He could have done other things. He could have traded. And he did become a trader eventually. But Allah inspiring him to take on this task of being a shepherd was a sign of how important it is for training to continue until you are ready to assume the role that you intend to assume. Or come, uh, 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 go full out in the profession that you have chosen to make part and parcel of your life. This is the lesson we learn uh, from this. And as I said, Allah could have inspired him to be a trader, could have inspired him to be um, uh, someone who takes care of camels and other animals, but he was inspired to be a shepherd and take care of sheep. And we will come across the benefits of taking care of sheep specifically. So this was clearly part of his training, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Now, as this was his training, we see this was the training of the Anbiya alayhi salatu wasalam before him. He bore testimony to this sallallahu alayhi wasallam that there was no prophet except that this was a task uh, given to him. We know this from the life of Musa alayhi salam very clearly. Uh, for example, now prophethood was given to prophets in the majority of the cases when they reached the age of 40. When they reached the age of 40. 
Rasulullah was very young still, going through these various training camps, if we can call it, or training processes, because prophecy came to him at 40. And our scholars rahmatullahi say Allah gave prophecy to his prophets at the age of 40, because when you attain the age of 40, you have attained the most complete form of mental maturity and physical maturity. Which means after 40, it's downhill. No offense to our fathers and mothers above 40. And for the young ones who are smiling, one day you'll become 40 as well. So don't smile too, don't make your smiles too wide. And it's not all lost. Because after 40, yes, energies and strength might start becoming weaker, shay'an for shay, slowly but surely. But wisdom becomes greater, shay'an for shay, slowly but surely. So for the young ones who are smiling, wisdom outdoes power and ability. Wisdom outdoes it. Wisdom outdoes it. And that's why you've probably seen a Facebook post from me or a Twitter post from me before, which said, if we could join the wisdom of the elders, to the vibrant, bubbly energies of the youth, we would move mountains as an ummah. We would move mountains as an ummah. But unfortunately, the youth think they know more than the adults. And that's a problem. And that's a problem. So 40 is, 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 is your peak. 40 is your, your peak. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave uh, His prophets prophecy when they attained the age of 40, in most cases, in most cases cases. Rasulullah was being trained and part of his training process was that he was inspired to look after sheep. Now, looking after sheep brings about in you qualities that are different than the qualities acquired when you look after other animals. Horses, donkeys, may Allah honor you all, camels, right? Looking after sheep brings about different Qualities. Why? Because of the nature of sheep. It gives you the quality, or it, it allows you to develop this compassion. It allows you to develop gentleness. It allows you to develop patience. It allows you to develop what females say a lot nowadays. They say, you know, our husbands, they need to be more sensitive. Sensitivity. Sensitivity. Right? It is said. I'm not, I'm not experienced, I haven't looked after sheep, but I hear from those who have. And it's interesting when, you know, this is how you have vibrant discussions with different people. When, you, when you're good with history, I'm not saying I'm good with history, may Allah increase my knowledge and increase our knowledge. But one of the benefits I've seen from reading the seerah of Rasulullah wasallam, I've managed to have much more fruitier, if I can use that term, or more fruitful discussions with a plethora of different people. Even those who farm and those who uh, herd cattle and those who are shepherds and so on and so forth. Right? Because you always, you're going to ask them questions based on what you've learned from the seerah and you want to see. Right? You want to gauge. You want to gauge how is it now? In the 21st century we have people. What's, how many people go to a shepherd and say, what's the most important thing you've learned from being with sheep? No, no, who asks that nowadays? Right? That would be an interesting question. He'll probably scratch his head and have to think. Because he himself probably doesn't know what he's learned, right? With his time um, with sheep, right? So it, it, it allows us to have 
deeper discussions with people, learning the seerah, and not just the seerah, history in general. And we discussed in our first episode how Islam is big on you and I having a good founding with history. Islamic history, world history, it's very important that you do. It's very important that you do. Many of us, we're so shocked at what we see in the world today. But if we studied World War I, you wouldn't be shocked. You'd say, you know what? It is what it is. This is insan, this is mankind, this is what it is. We're so naive nowadays because of our lack of historical founding. We don't read history books. We don't listen to lectures on history. We find them boring. Boring, why? Because you and I have no interest really in life. We just want to be average. We just want to be average. You know, they say there's three types of people. There's one person who makes things happen. How many of us make things happen? To make things happen, you need to love reading history. You need to protect yourself from apathy. And then we have the second person. He's the person who watches things happen. Still some goodness in him. At least he, he's following. He's keeping up. He's watching things happening. And then you have the third person. Who's the third person? The one who says, Hey, what happened? <laughs> right? He's, he's always asking, what happened? I, I don't know, I'm not following. What are you guys talking about? I'm behind here. Right? Who do you want to be? We must be the first person. We must be the first person. Especially since we had such a robust Prophet wasallam, Someone so substantial, so deep. Everything he did had a thousand words to it. Everything he said had a thousand words to it. A thousand lessons to it. That's what I mean. Right? Look, we just learned about his birth. It takes us one hour. Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la. So substantial he was. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. But most of mankind do not know. So the people who spend time with sheep, they say sheep. Or our scholars say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made his prophets be with sheep when they were young, so they were even better with human beings when they were older. Right? Because sheep, they become scared. They have enemies. The biggest enemy of a sheep is a wolf. Right? Right? And every sheep has its unique quality. Every sheep has its unique quality. Some have a tendency of straying away from the flock. You one shepherd. Whole flock of sheep. You can't just say, khalas. You do it one more time, that's it. No, you're responsible to the person who owns them. So you have to, whether you like it or not, take care of that one that has tendencies of running away. You have sheep that have a tendency of remaining with the flock. You have sheep that are timid. You have sheep that are more daring. Right? Different qualities. Does it not remind you of mankind? We also have similar qualities. Right? You have the lone ranger. <laughs> and then you have the people's person. The introvert, the extrovert. Right? You have the one who... The, the, he, he perceives things, the one who thinks things uh, over. You have, you have people who, mashallah, you know, if you, if you told them, he has unlimited amount of money, unlimited amount of time, plan your holiday, his way of planning is just rocking up at the airport and seeing what's the next flight available and, and he goes on a journey. But then you have another person who, no, he doesn't do that. 
He needs to sit down for a week, plan everything to the T. The visas, where you, who's going to feed my cat, who's going to lock the door, who's going to check if the, you know, if uh, the electrical appliances are switched on. He makes sure when he lands there, the, the, the taxis prepared, the hotels ready, confirmation, double confirmation, airlines confirmed, everything to the T. Where he's going to change his money, what rate he's going to pay. He's a planner. Now imagine in your group, you have this guy, no care that should rock up at the airport first flight. I'll just see what's on the options. You know, just see what's there. Unlimited money, unlimited time, who cares? Just see what's there and go. And then you put him with this guy who needs to plan everything. Somebody is going to fly off a bridge. One of the two, right? Because when this guy is planning, this guy is going to be scratching his head. And when this guy keeps on saying, let's go and he nags, this guy is going to get upset and lose his head. People have different mentalities. Everybody's different and that's why even in your work, in your organizations, in your team, understand personality types. And if you can't, get a job being a shepherd. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. The best training you can undergo, well, perhaps I'm going to write this to a few companies. You know, they say, they hire trainers, pay them thousands of dollars a day to come train. It's easy. Just buy a few sheep and tell your people, go and look after them for a week. Inshallah, they will learn. It's the best way to train. You train through practice, right? It's, tra it's, it's leadership training in practice, not theory. So sheep have specific qualities and it grows in you specific behavioral patterns, specific emotions, right? And these emotions are needed when you deal with people. When you deal with people. You and I as human beings, for example, are interdependent beings. And one of the things that they say about sheep is they love to stick together. They leverage off each other's strengths. Right? And they know that unity is in numbers. Right? right? And this is like human beings. Now, don't get me wrong before somebody says, are you calling us sheep? No, I'm not calling you sheep. I'm not calling you sheep. You see this young man's laughing. I'm not calling you sheep. I'm saying, I want you to feel, I want you to feel the great wisdom here. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspires a prophet to look after sheep. I came across an interesting study by a professor from the University of Wyoming. Right? He has this study about his experiences with sheep. And he has some interesting writings. From the things he says, he says that you cannot make sheep do something contrary to their nature. Subhanallah. From the nature of sheep is, they are true to their nature. They cannot do something contrary to their nature. Some people are smiling because now you're thinking sheep are better than human beings, right? Because some human beings do things contrary to nature. Allahul Musta'an. To their nature, to how they've been created. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, sometimes when He describes the plight of people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, Ula'ika kal an'am. When Allah talks about the heedless people, the heedless people, when Allah says, وَلَقَدْ ذَرَأْنَا لِجَهَنَّمَ كَثِيرًا مِّنَ الْجِنِّ وَالْإِنسِ لَهُمْ قُلُوبٌ لَا يَفْقَهُونَ بِهَا وَلَهُمْ أَعْيُنٌ لَا يُبْصِرُونَ بِهَا وَلَهُمْ آذَانٌ لَا يَسْمَعُونَ بِهَا أُولَئِكَ كَالْأَنْعَامِ بَلْ هُمْ أَضَلُّ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We have created many from 
mankind and jinn kind for the hellfire. Why? They have hearts that, that physically beat, but their hearts are spiritually dead. And they have ears that physically hear, but their ears are, are spiritually dead. They don't hear guidance. And they have eyes that physically see, but their eyes are spiritually dead. They don't see guidance. They are like cattle. They are like cattle. Allah says, No, nay, they're worse than cattle. They are heedless. Why? Because Allah gave them intellectuality and a brain. And they're behaving like cattle. So they must be worse. Because cattle do not have intellectuality and this gift that has been given to mankind. They are from the heedless ones. They behave as if they don't know, yet they know. May Allah protect us from heedlessness. Right? So... He says this professor that you cannot make sheep do anything contrary to nature. He also to their nature. He says as well that sheep's most manifest instinct is to flock. Which is a trait of, you, of, of us. Right? Insan's instinct is to be together. Because Allah has, has, has created us this way. Allah has made us interdependent beings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in his book, Is it they who have shared the mercy of your Lord? Allah says, We have spread amongst them the different abilities that they have and their sustenance. And we've raised some of them higher in rank than others. Why? So that they can oppress one another? No. Allah says, لِيَتَّخِذَ Allah says, we've done this so they can assist one another. They can assist one another. So we have natural tendencies, tendencies to be together. We have to leverage off each other's strengths. One person cannot fly his plane, drive his car, make his bread, plant his rice, cook his meals, and so on. You can't. You have a pilot who does that. And then you have the scholar who the pilot refers to when he needs a fatwa. And the scholar refers to the pilot when he needs to travel. And so on and so forth. We leverage off each other's. Our unique greatness comes from the fact that we, lever we live off each other's strengths. We leverage, we, we leverage off each other's strengths. Right? We have an instinct to be together. This is similar to human beings. What the sheep have a natural tendency of doing, this tendency is with human beings. He says, the propensity of sheep is to follow other sheep, not the shepherd. <laughs> I was reading this and I was thinking, subhanallah. Honestly, he says, the propensity of sheep is to follow other sheep, not the shepherd. And he says, sheep are very conservative. They like familiar environments and they're not privy to change. They resist change. Ring a bell? Ring a bell, brothers and sisters? Look at you and me today. Look at human beings. Look, first, look at the Quraysh. When Rasulullah went with the message, did they follow the shepherd or did they follow the sheep? They followed their people. <laughs> they said that this is what we found our forefathers doing. Right? We found our forefathers doing this. They didn't listen to the shepherd. They were following the flock. The flock is doing this. And subhanallah, when the Quraysh accepted Islam, when Makkah came into the control of the believers, What happened to them? They started following the flock as well. The Quraysh accepted Islam. They all started accepting Islam. Allahu Akbar. 
Wallahi, when I read this, I was subhana rabbi al-a'la. How perfect is the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? This is what it should do, make us exalt Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and glorify Him even more that subhanallah, ya Allah, only you can inspire a human being to work with sheep. How perfect was that, that inspiration, right? This is what, they, what he says from his time with sheep. He says that uh, sheep are not privy to change. How many of us are like that? Especially the adults. The younger generation is changing. You know, new phones, new computers, new devices. But some of the elders, that Nokia from back in the day, no, no. This is what we want to use. See, but you know, there's WhatsApp and there's this and that. We can keep in touch. No, no, no. You know, this, this phone, this is what I'm comfortable with. Alhamdulillah, that's good, right? Because then it saves you spending a lot of money. <laughs> you don't have to keep on updating, right? Not privy to change, right? And even in society in general, look how we are with change, right? Today, there's a lot of discussion about the schooling system and how it needs to be better and how it does have negative effects. And there's other alternatives being suggested, but look how people are still bent on, no, the school system is good. That's what we know. We're not privy to change. Don't come with something different. Our parents went to school. We went to school. This is how it should be. We're not privy to change. Somebody comes with something new into society. Or if something new, even from a business perspective, when a new product is introduced in society, how much money does the company have to spend educating the people about it? To convince them to accept it. Not so? A lot of times, if you go to an investor with a, with, 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 with a product, right? The investor is going to take into consideration the fact that this product will not fly unless we spend millions and millions educating the people about its benefits. Convincing them that it's better than what you had. Right? Which means society by default is not privy to change. This is similar to sheep. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the understanding and grow us. Ameen. 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 So brothers and sisters, these are the similarities between the qualities that sheep have and human beings have and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired his prophets to interact with sheep growing up part of the training process so when they went up they were sensitive to the different types of people the people who chose to to kick him out of his town the people who chose to usurp the property of the people we know Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was always good he prayed salah they threw dirt and the intestines and blood of animals on him. But he was good with them. There were people who stoned him out of their city, Ta'if. His shoes were filled with his blood, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And when Allah gave him the chance to destroy them, he was good to them as well. Such levels of forbearance, such levels of selflessness, such levels of patience, such levels of forgiveness, such levels to withstand harm and difficulty. Wallahi, it didn't just come overnight. It came through experience, through being an orphan before he was born, being an orphan again when he was six, being sent into the countryside when he was two, losing his grandfather when he was eight, and so on and so forth. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us those who revive his sunnah. Ameen. At the back there's a big poster which says, the sunnah, the better. The sunnah, the better. Wallahi, haqqan. This is the truth. The sunnah, the better. May Allah make us revivers of the sunnah. Ameen. Ameen.
from the lessons, brothers and sisters, that we learned from the fact that Rasulullah was a shepherd, was how humble he was. Today, how many of us would tell people what we used to do in the past? That we know people would belittle. In Mecca, being a shepherd wasn't all that. Being a trader was that. Being someone who accompanied the caravans to Sham and came with the, with the merchandise of the Romans and the other civilizations, this was, this was uh, praiseworthy. Even in the history of Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, Umar, his father made him look after the camels. Look at camels. Look at the character of Umar. <laughs> right? Camels are different to sheep. Right? I have some friends that I studied with and they come from what they know as the farmlands in Saudi Arabia. They have camels. And subhanAllah, one day he came very upset to class. And I said, what's wrong? And it was this camel passed away. So attached he became to his camel. He goes, wallahi, wallahi, you don't know. We're laughing here, you don't know. You don't know. You know like with, 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 with the non-Muslims, they have the relationship with their dogs. And sometimes, you know, we don't understand it. Right? They're loyal. Camels can be that. Camels have a lot of patience as well. They're stubborn also. They're stubborn. And they're patient as well. They take uh, difficult, they withstand difficulty. How do you think, you, you think they call the ships of the desert for nothing? They walk distances without water, exposed to the heat. Wallahi, it's a mighty creation of Allah. And Allah brings our attention to it when He says, That have you not looked at the camel and how, it, how it's been created? Have you not looked at it and recognized Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this camel and how it's been created? Umar was given the camels, but Umar wanted to be a trader. He tried and tried going to his father. Give me some gold coins, let me go. But his father appointed his brother and said, no, you have to be with the camels. On the outskirts of Mecca, looking after them. Umar, Umar ibn Khattab. In fact, his father is reported to have famously said that you have abilities your brother doesn't have. And your brother has abilities that you don't have. He has the abilities to trade. But he will fail dismally if he looks after the camels. And Umar subhanallah, some of the greatest management messages that have ever been said, wallahi, if they existed in the, the management books today, they would be bestsellers. Truly bestsellers. Not the ones that are best, bestsellers because they are bestsellers. I look at them and say, doesn't have the coats of Umar. How can it be a bestseller? Umar, wallahi, he said a famous statement that, you know, camels, when you work with them for a long time and you stay with them for a long time, it grows you as a person. Why? Because every camel is unique. They have their own temperaments. And it grows you as a manager and leader. For when you are able to fathom their different tendencies and different behavioral patterns, you're able to look after them as a team and take care of them as individuals. Allahu Akbar. Allah, look at that statement. Where you can look after them as a team and take care of them as individuals. Who can do that today? Who can do that today? That is amazing. Right? So what we're discussing here is that trade was seen as something special. Taking care of animals wasn't seen to be all that. But Rasulullah proudly said it. Proudly said it. They said, even you, O Prophet of Allah? He said, yes. This is how humble he was, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And yes, he was humble. Wallahi, he was humble. Once a man came to him, and when he stood in front of him, he, he manifested signs of fear. He manifested signs of fear. 
I mean, imagine you standing, you fear Allah, and then you're standing in front of a man who is the messenger of Allah, right? Allah, the Lord of the worlds, the one whose punishment is severe and is also the most forgiving, the most merciful. Here is a prophet of the King of Kings and the Lord of the worlds, right? So naturally, he just became, he was, he became scared, he couldn't speak. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as humble as he was, said to him, Hawwin alik, calm down, take it easy, take it easy. I am not but a son of a female that ate Qadid. Qadid, as our scholars, Rahmatullahi alayhim say, does anyone know what it is here? Qadid? Dried meat, salt, dried salted meat, like biltong? Would it be similar to biltong? You haven't eaten biltong. All right. And in Africa, we have halal biltong. Huh? <laughs> so we know. Well, I, this is what it is. Qadid is, is uh, salted meat which has been dried in the sun. Right? When I, when, when I read the meaning of qadid, I, I thought of biltong. Wallahu a'lam. So this is what he said to him, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That I am not but the son of a female that ate qadid. Meaning, I'm not a king. I'm not a king. He says, I'm not a king. This is what he said. I'm not a king, but a son of a female who ate qadid. Calm these nerves down. Humble was he, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he was the one who said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that the one who is not kind and soft to the young and does not respect the elders is not from us, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is what he said. And we know how he was, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, with the young ones. He would make them feel special, make them feel important, make them feel as if they're adults. Not make them feel as children. Make them feel special. Once this, this bird of this young boy passed away and he was upset, Rasulullah went to him and made the moment light. He said, Ya Aba Umair, ma He went to this young boy and he said, Oh father of Umair. He's a young boy. But just rhymed it up for him, you know. Ya Aba Umair, ma Nughair is the little bird. Trying to make the moment light-hearted for him. This was he sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this is who we should be, especially fathers, especially teachers, especially scholars, especially du'at. Let the children feel that they have free range with you. Wallahi, it's okay. Better that so when they have an issue, they come to you rather than going to the guidance teacher at school. Or somebody else who's a stranger, who carries values that you don't have. Values different to the values you have instilled in your home and taught to your kids. Right? This was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, very humble. We also learn, brothers and sisters, the importance of being financially able. Where do we learn this from? Who knows? Importance of being financially able. How do we learn this from the story? Able as well as capable. We learn it from the fact that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did this as a job. He says, I used to receive a portion of a gold coin for taking care of the herds of the Quraysh. Financially able and capable. This is very important, my dear brothers and sisters. The importance of financial independence, especially for a da'i, a propagator, especially for an imam. Wallahi, I have sadly, sadly, sadly come across some masajid, subhanallah, they have a committee, some members of the committee are engaged in some evil practice, maybe riba or something. And because of that, the imam cannot speak about it on the member. If he speaks about it, he's in trouble. He will be penalized or he will lose his job or something. Allahul Musta'an. 
a time where the clergy is under the patronage of the laity. You know the clergy and the laity? This is British English, huh? <laughs> the laity, the layman, the clergy, the scholars. <laughs> I heard you guys have holiday when it's the Queen's birthday, so I'm sure you, you look after your English heritage as well, right? I don't think in the UK they have holidays when it's the Queen's birthday, so Australia must be really taking care of the English as well. We live in a time, subhanAllah, when the clergy is under the patronage of the laity. This is a mushkila, this is a problem. This is a problem where you can't speak to your audience. Why? Because your audience is feeding you. It's human nature. It's human nature. Allahul Musta'an. Financial independence is priority, especially for a da'i. Especially for a da'i. As you know, I've trained to be a judge. In Saudi Arabia, if you are appointed to be a judge, by the time you're just appointed as a student still, you might choose to do your, your master's degree and then a PhD. Like I studied with the appointed judges, benefited greatly from them. And I studied with them in our bachelor's degree. I saw the change in these people. Not change in terms of character, but they might have come with a car which backfired a bit during the bachelor's days. All of a sudden in the master's uh, days, they're rolling in with brand new Nissan Patrols and Land Cruisers and so on and so forth. Immediately, as soon as they pick, they're given financial independence. Why? Because as a judge in their courtroom, they should never ever feel subdued by anyone who's in front of them. It's the duty of the state to ensure they have this independence. And I am a strong advocate that a da'i, a propagator, an imam, should not be under the patronage of any masjid committee or, com or, or the community. Sadly, the Muslim community haven't realized the importance of the imam or the scholar. Otherwise, there would be waqf. There would be endowments dedicated towards taking care of the scholars. Subhanallah, today, if a scholar has a slightly nice car or a nice watch, where did he get it from? Huh? Allah al-Musta'an. You see his house. How did he get that house? Audhu billah. We should thank Allah. We should be happy. For those who are planning on treading the path of Islamic scholarship, always think about this. For you to be an effective da'i, make sure you rely only on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and only on Allah. And yes, we only rely on Allah, but you know what I mean. Never make the means. There's means and there's tawakkul. Part of tawakkul is taking the means. Never make a means for yourself taking money from the community. Make sure if you are, they are a community that will still respect you when you tell them what they need to know. The duty of a scholar is to tell the people not what they want to know, but what they need to know. This is what the faqih does. This is what the mufti does. This is what the qadi does. This is what the da'i does. He tells you what you need to know. And this was the tradition of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Never asked them for wealth. Never was indebted to them in any way. He worked, this was part of his training, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Allah inspired him, financial independence. We know when he married Khadija, he met Khadija how? Through trade as well. He was trading for her. He was earning a living. He wasn't under the hand of a human being. So when he came to them with the message of La ilaha illallah, he would have to scratch his head a few times and say, should I, shouldn't I, if I do, I will lose support and so on and so on. It's human nature. I told you the other day how you and I are built to survive. We build to survive. Alright? It's human nature. Financial independence is key. 
And brothers and sisters, we can take this lesson further. And that is how we help other people as well. We should help them in a way that puts them back on their feet and not cripple them further. For those who are giving charity and we all should be giving charity. And mashallah, I have one of my team members here from National Zakat Foundation. This is the message. You help people in a way that makes them independent. This is my message to them. Make sure we make people zakat payers and not zakat takers every year. If we have a case, let's look after them in a way where tomorrow they are paying zakat. Not taking zakat until the end of their life. Because it won't be like that. They take an amount now, next year it will be more, next year it will be more. Dependence increases with time. Dependence increases with time. And you know, we get weaker, illnesses come and so on and so forth. Right? Don't help people in a way that cripples them. If a person can't afford his school fees, don't say, I'm going to take care of all your school fees. Say, what's the shortfall? Let him feel some responsibility. If you're going to take away, pay the whole thing and, 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 and make him oblivious to the importance of, of, the, of the few dollars that he or she had with him or her, what's going to happen? They're going to blow the money, spend it on something else and lose any form of responsibility when it comes to life and the responsibilities of life. We learn all this from here, brothers and sisters. We learn this from here. We also learn from here, brothers and sisters, how to teach our children the importance of financial independence from a young age. In its context, I'm not saying how it's done now. Believe it or not, mashallah, every parent teaches their children about financial independence from a, from a young age. But in the wrong context. We say not at the expense of religion. Right? Some parents speak to their children about financial independence 90% of the time. 10%, 5% deen and another 5% maybe sports and something else. Should be the other way around. But the message should be there. And don't just tell them to do it. Give them responsibility. We discussed responsibility the other day. Give them some task in the home and pay them. Doesn't matter. That's part of their tarbiyah. Make them do it for free at times. And sometimes give them a slightly more difficult task in the summers, for example. And say, if you complete the task, this is, we will reward you. You will earn $10, $20. I don't know in Australia. If it's not taxed, then probably $20 is a good, is a good amount, right? <laughs> if you're taxing them, maybe it's not. You have to increase. <laughs> right? So what I'm saying is, this is how you teach them to appreciate, to save money, how to spend. When you take them to the shop, ask them, how much does this cost? Can you see? Right? You're buying this chocolate, how much does it cost? If you eat a chocolate every day, how much would it cost you? Let them understand life. Rasulullah understood it. And subhanallah, he didn't even have a father and mother. Right? So Abu Talib was giving him good lessons. Abu Talib was nurturing him the right way. A way to be independent in terms of his character, in terms of his behavior, in terms of his finances. Made him a decision maker. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Before we end of today's discussion, my dear brothers and sisters, let's take one more incident very quickly. And because tomorrow we have a longer session. And that is... Um, an important event that took place in Mecca before Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam became a prophet. And there's many practical lessons that you and I can derive from that lesson. Um, and we'll do that tomorrow. Before that, there's one incident that's famous. It's disputed by some of the scholars of hadith, but it's famous in the books of, hadith, in the books of seerah. It's famous in the books of seerah. 
And this is the story of Bahira. You've heard the story of Bahira? The monk, the Christian monk, Bahira. Right? Was he a Christian monk or a Jewish monk? Christian monk. Bahira. Some of the scholars of Hadith have disputed this incident, this narration, given uh, an issue in the chain. This, the, 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 the Hadith which talks about this, if my memory serves me right, is in Sunan al-Tirmidhi. Wallahu a'lam. Ala kulli hal, we will discuss it. It's famous in the books of, of Seerah. And Shaykh al-Albani, rahimahullah, he graded this Hadith as acceptable. This is the Hadith of Bahira. In this story, Abu Talib used to travel for trade. And we know from yesterday's session that he never ever left Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam behind. So he took Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam with him when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was around 12 years old. And on this journey, they happened, or they, when, they, when this journey used to happen, they would pass by this monk. And never ever did he give any importance to these caravans. Never ever. But on this particular occasion he did. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was with this caravan. He gave special attention. He came out, he greeted the caravan, invited them for a meal. And started purposefully and purposely looking at everybody that was in this caravan. When we say caravan, we're not talking about the caravans you have today, right? Which you hook to the back of your... Your, your, your vehicles. No, that's not the caravan. We're talking about a, a group of camels and, and uh, a group of people and uh, in, in their journey together to a place This was called collectively a caravan. So he purposely started checking out the people here. And even they were surprised because this person never ever gave them the light of day. And now there's a meal on the table. He's showing special interest until he came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And he grabbed his hand and he said that this is a leader of mankind and jinn kind. And he is the messenger of the Lord of the worlds. And Allah will send him as a mercy to the worlds. Allahu Akbar. Christian monk. Testimony. So the Quraysh asked him, how do you know this? So he said that you never left this place called Aqaba. You never left it. Except that every tree and every stone prostrated. And this doesn't happen except when there's a messenger. It doesn't happen except when there is a messenger or a prophet. And later on he witnessed the shade of trees expanding to cover Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And he explained this as well. And he also confirmed Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam being, or, 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 or being the person who will be the messenger by uncovering the seal of prophethood. Right? Which was similar to an apple close to the left shoulder of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And according to the ahadith that I have read, it was surrounded by moles and it had few hairs on it. But nowhere have I come across that it had Allah and Rasul on it. As you see, a lot of these uh, plaques and souvenirs uh, that come out and, and, and they have this, this, uh, the, the writing of Allah and Muhammad in a, spe- a specific way and they say the seal of prophethood. Nowhere in, have I come across, Wallahu A'lam, I've said not having knowledge of something doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But I have tried my best to search for any evidence 
to substantiate what we see on these plaques where people write Allah Muhammad in a specific way and, they, and then it's, it's titled the seal of prophethood. And I have not come across anything which says this. In fact, if that was the case, people would have accepted him sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Not so. Wouldn't it be more uh, convincing? Wallahu a'lam. I haven't come across any narration which said it. What I have come across is that it was similar to an apple um, and, um, or, or a pigeon's egg and it had molds, uh, some molds around it and some hairs on it. Bahira, this monk, uncovered this. And he said, this is the seal, or he, he acknowledged and recognized this as the seal of prophethood. When this happened, Bahira started persuading this caravan. Especially Abu Talib. He asked, who is the guardian of this boy? Abu Talib said, I am. He started persuading him. You need to head back. You need to go back. What I have noticed, you heading to, towards the Romans, they will notice it as well. And the end won't be good for this boy. Harm will come to him. And Abu Talib needed some convincing and then he was convinced. And uh, Abu Talib set the process for Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa to go back to, to Mecca. To go back to Mecca. Now, we have lessons. Very few lessons. But interesting lessons that you and I need to take heed of. Firstly, number one, we learn from this that the people of the book knew about Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is proof that their books were changed. Allah told us they changed their books. How did Bahira know this? This is, he was considered to be a scholar from the scholars. He wasn't a layman. He was a scholar from amongst the scholars of the Christians. This is a scholar bearing testimony, giving witness to this man, this boy here, being the messenger, the Prophet of Allah. He will be the Prophet of Allah. Right? How did he know this? Except that he was taught this in that left behind by Isa alayhi salam and that left behind by Musa alayhi salam. Clearly, right? That's how he would only know this. You know, being sensitive to the signs that the stones are prostrating, the trees are prostrating. Right? The shade of the tree increases. He's telling them, look, look at the shade. It increases. This is, this is going to be the messenger of God. A person cannot be sensitive to this unless he has previous knowledge. So we know from this that the people of the book knew about Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And they denied him not based on ignorance, but based on knowledge. And denial based on knowledge equals arrogance. When you deny something and you know it to be true, that's arrogance. When somebody says, brother, you're wrong, and you know that they're right, but your ego kicks in, right? What happens? And you say, no, I know. And listen, I don't want to talk about it. Right? And so on and so forth. You choose to shut people down, your ego comes into play instead of acknowledging and saying, I'm sorry. Allah says, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمْ لَهُ بِالْإِثْمِ فَحَسْبُهُ جَهَنَّمِ وَلَبِئْسَ الْمِهَادِ نعم Subhanallah Allah says there's, there's, there's people when you tell them fear Allah what happens? They become arrogant with regards to your statement and they are sinful as a result and their ending is severe Denying something when you know it to be true is arrogance and that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَسْتَكْبِرُونَ عَنْ عِبَادَتِي وَقَالَ, uh, uh, وقال رَبُّكُمْ أُدْعُونِي أَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ 
This dua mentioned in Waqala Rabbukum Udruni, this dua refers to dua al-ibadah. Dua al-ibadah. And we can say dua al-mas'ala as well. Dua is of two types, brothers and sisters, just so you know. Dua in our sharia, when the Quran says dua, it either refers to the dua that you and I know when we raise our hands and make dua and supplicate. And dua in the Quran also refers to all acts of worship. Salah and anything that is the worship of Allah is also known as dua. This dua is known as dua al-ibadah. And the first dua, which is dua of supplicating, is known as dua al-mas'alah, the dua of asking. Allah says, these people, who do, who, Allah says, who those who deny the worship of Allah, Allah calls them arrogant people. He doesn't call them raw deniers of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. He called them arrogant people. Why? This is a lesson to you and I. That they deny whilst knowing who Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is. Whilst knowing this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the people of the book denied Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam whilst knowing it. If they deny it, we say to them, your priest, your scholar, Bahira, gave clear testimony. Now, one other thing you need to know is some of the deniers, if you, you know, some people might say, well, maybe they don't know the story or they don't believe it. No, they do. They do. This story of Bahira, they do. Because in their books, they say that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, what he came with, he got it from Bahira. They say he was taught and trained. By who? By them. But they don't know that subhanallah, this is actually just landing that uppercut, you know, uppercut punch to them on themselves, <laughs> right? Instead of, instead of um, providing evidence against Muhammad wasallam by saying this, they're providing evidence against themselves. Because you and I can say to them, all right, okay, all right, let's say that he got it from Bahira. Why don't you accept the message? <laughs> if he got the message of your scholar, why don't you accept the message? Why do you say Allah is three? Why do you say Isa is the son of God? Why do you say that when your scholar, as you say, taught Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, this is a rebuttal, right? They claim that he wasn't a prophet. The prophetic message that he had was from Bahira. We say, if what you say is true, then why don't you listen to what he had to say? If he got it from your own scholar, then listen to what he had to say. The fact that you deny that, now what's happening here? You deny your own scholar and you deny the message, what's happening? Allahul Musta'an. Allahul Musta'an. So these are a few lessons that we learn from the story of Bahira. And these are the lessons that I have for you all today. Barakallahu feekum. Everybody tomorrow, we have a very in interesting event that took place uh, before the Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam became a prophet. It is something that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam praised after he also became a prophet. If there's something that he praised from Jahiliyyah, was the incident that we're going to discuss tomorrow. What was it? You have to come tomorrow. <laughs> and you have to join in tomorrow, those who are watching via the camera. I love you all for the sake of Allah. 
everything correct said is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and He's perfect. And any mistakes are from myself and shaitan and I seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. Subhanallah wa bihamdi, subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika, nashhadu an la ilaha illa ant, nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaykus salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.